it in, looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hey, y'all. It's Joe Patrick from Dirty South Soccer. And this is an H-Dad. I've already screwed up this intro that Sam is perfectly memorized and done a million times. But we are here with a special episode because Sam is not here. And that's why I'm giving the intro, obviously. And we have a special guest with us. It's our Dirty South Soccer and Stars and Stripes writer, Parker Cleveland. Parker, how are you doing? Pretty good, Joe. How's it going? It's okay. I had to deal with a uh, crazy person last night at an engagement party who told me that soccer is an impure sport as compared to something that's pure like baseball. Um, well, he's absolutely right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I said, he said, I, he, he was going on and on about how much he hated the Seattle Sounders game, which, you know, didn't we all, but, um, you know, he was saying how he couldn't, he wanted to leave in the 65th minute and he, he couldn't wait, but he was there like with someone who couldn't leave and uh, otherwise he would have left early and how he never leaves a baseball game early. And I was just in awe of that. I don't know how you don't leave a baseball game early, um, in my opinion, but yeah, so that's how my weekend's been. What have you been doing? Um, well, I've been watching soccer and uh, hanging out with my dogs and just doing weekend stuff, man. Just, just keeping it pretty low key and chill and. You know, it's a better weekend with with an Atlanta United win. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those crazy days for me yesterday where I was gone all morning and then I was going to be gone in the afternoon as well, which is why I couldn't um, or not gone in the afternoon, but like just preoccupied with stuff for this party that I had to go to, um, which is why I wasn't at the game yesterday. And it was one of those things where I got home and then I didn't realize it was the game was on Univision. And so then I'm like scrambling because that just throws off, you know, all the. There's the all way or whatever of my soccer. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. totally understand. So, so it was a scramble, but I was able to get the game on. And then, um, well, we'll get in, we'll get into the Barco situation later. Cause that was like the first thing that hit me was like, I like when I got home, I, I saw, I pulled up my phone I pulled up our dirty South soccer, uh, writer's room and shit was hitting the fan pretty much, so to speak. So, um, we will get into that cause Barco was suspended. That was one of the kind of the main headlines from the game. Um, I say suspended technically the team's not allowed to say that, but, um, we'll get into the whole, whole terminology of it. But I did want to lead with the story of the game, which was Joseph Martinez setting the MLS hat trick record. Um, he now has six hat tricks in 42 league games. He's got 22 goals in 22 games this season nine multi-goal games in his in his career. It's just incredible what he's doing. I did see a um, video today by uh, uh, on MLSsoccer.com of Bobby Boswell, the our, our lovable former center back, saying that he is the greatest of all time, the greatest striker of all time in MLS. What say you, Parker? Is he? Are, are we there yet? Can we, can we say that yet? I think that it's it's hard to say with a player who's got 42 games so far. Um, I mean, obviously, if he continues this pace, he's going to break Landon Donovan's record and Chris Wondolowski's record and every other record like combined. Um, so, I, you know, he's on the way there. Um, I don't know that he's he's quite there yet. Like it's it's kind of hard to uh, it's kind of hard to put somebody at the top of the mountain when they've they've only been in the league for less than, you know, 50 games. Um, I kind of agree with that. I think, I mean, I think you need, 
like there it, there's one obviously he's shown himself to be like prolific in you know this amount of games that he's played and it's not to downplay that but i think there is there's there's a sense that he needs to show that he can do it over a longer period of time i guess and especially when you're talking about this team that he's on obviously he scores a lot of goals and he's a big reason why of course but it'll just be interesting to see if he can kind of keep up this level of production you know as the times change, you know, as he has different teammates and he has to kind of adjust his style, maybe he has a different coach, uh, which is a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, I kind of agree. I kind of agree, yeah. but it was cool to see like the way he just like the way he was scoring those goals yesterday, I thought was great. It was just like classic Joseph, just stick, getting his nose kind of stuck in there and not afraid to get his hands dirty. Yeah. I mean, it was two headers and then you rounded the keeper, which is always about the most kind of fun thing to watch him do. But I kind of think like going back to the discussion of like the best the best player in MLS all time. I think that everybody sort of thought, you know, maybe a year or two ago that you'd be, you know, having that discussion still right now about Sebastian Giovinco and I mean, he's he's definitely taken a step back in the last, you know, season, season and a half um for Toronto and and it's, you know, it's hard to kind of, you know, you want to see him do it over the sustained period of time, but um uh I think he can do it. I mean, as long as he stays healthy and and keeps on having this rhythm with his teammates. There's, there's nothing really stopping him. Yeah. That's a good point about Giovinco because, and that, and that just kind of goes to show that's kind of, yeah, that that's exactly why you kind of need a longer time period to judge because not everything has gone right for Toronto this year. And obviously it's kind of shown in, in Giovinco's play, even though Giovinco is not, you know, he's still perfectly physically capable of scoring. Like he always has. Um, but it's a, it's a matter of like, you know, just, whether Joseph Martinez will be able to deal with, you know, maybe if a bunch of players get hurt, you know, like some some of the key assist providers for him get hurt in a season and and things like that. So that's 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 a good sample. Um, but he is on an incredible pace. He's he's now the 21st player in MLS history with 20 plus goals, and he only needs six more to break the single season record uh, this year with 12 goals to or 12 games to play. So. Um, he's already on a goal per game pace and basically he needs half a goal per game the rest of the season over 12 games. So I think he could do it next week. I think it's pretty safe yeah. to say. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It is Montreal. What we, we could talk about Montreal later. They're crazy. I cannot get a grips on if they're actually good or not, or at least playoff capable. But anyway, um, yeah, that was kind of the main story. I wanted to make sure we led with Joseph because I did want to lead with with a soccer story, uh, at least from the yeah, game. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that like, you know, if you kind of even want to look more at, at other things that he's, uh, you know, managed to do for himself, times almost burned to death by Stadium Pyro, one. Times using a photograph photographer as, you know, a celebration <laughs> prop, one. He's the person who's benefited the most from him being in the league, though, is Stern John, who nobody would be talking about if it wasn't for Joseph scoring, like, 100 hat tricks. And, I mean, the most incredible thing to me is that he's doing it while being told that he isn't actually good because Atlanta keeps forcing teams and making dumb mistakes and getting red cards. Um, so... I, I think that that's, you know, a tremendous amount of stuff that he's had to overcome in his career. And just, we need to give him more credit. Yeah, that, it is it is really hilarious. Um, I, I, one of my favorite critiques of Joseph's play today, uh, yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Sunday. Um, one of my, my favorite critiques was that he should have been suspended because of the uh, because of the headbutt from the previous because week. And it's like <laughs> that somehow negates the performance. into uh 
if I mean, if he was, if if Chad Marshall was like not, you know, suffering from gigantism or whatever is, I don't want to make fun of someone's <laughs> but like Chad Marshall is an enormous person, and um, you know, if if he wasn't suffering from that condition, that they just would have been, you know, face to face and had a conversation, and that would have been it, and you know, maybe he wouldn't have fallen over his own player and yelled in Joseph's face last weekend. So it's hard <laughs> yeah. to say, you know. It was very weird seeing those two uh, come in a confrontation because, man, they just look completely different. Like, you couldn't imagine two completely different looking people. No. Highlighted by Joseph's uh, eyebrow shaving. Not at all. The thing that's amazing, though, is Joseph still, I think, manages to outjump that guy. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does. I posted a stat. Uh, I think it, I think I just posted this on Twitter um, like last week or something. But Joseph actually leads or is tied to the lead in MLS, at least coming into the games yesterday. He had one yesterday. He might actually lead in this stat now. Um, but in headed goals coming into the game uh, this weekend, he was tied for the most headed goals in the league with Bradley Wright Phillips. So two, like two guys that are not, you know, like big target forwards, you know, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of goes to show like how much work they put into it though. Like, cause all of that is timing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And determination, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I think the first goal um, was the one where Usted tried to punch it. And Joseph was just like, I'm going through your fist. I don't care what's in my way. I'm scoring this goal. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I love how then people were saying that it should have been a foul on Joseph for like putting his head into Usted's for, fist. Like, winning a 50-50 <laughs> ball. <laughs> it was pretty yeah, that was, that was kind of interesting. But um and that's kind of like what gets me about like when like everyone says he's lazy. And of course nobody's saying he's lazy now after he scored the last few yeah. games. Uh, and after he has his hat trick, of course, those complaints just stop, you know, and then anytime he like doesn't score for one game, then people get mad at him again and start saying the lazy thing again. Um, and obviously they're referring to the running, but like, if there's anything that would demonstrate that his, his lack of laziness or, or dedication to the team, it's the fact that he's literally putting his face on the line, um, to score goals. I mean, he did it against yes, uh, this weekend against DC and then he obviously broke his nose against Columbus. Yeah. I just kind of want everyone to know that every time they complain about Joseph being lazy or being offside too much that the Falcons turn a second and 10 into a third and 26 and blow a 25 point lead. <laughs> Everyone should know yeah. that that's why that happened is because before Atlanta United existed, they were going to be complaining yeah. about Joseph three years later. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was obviously the headline of, of the game um, was his performance. It was kind of funny. I didn't really think, we ha- there were many great performances from yesterday um, outside of him, but um, we'll, we'll get onto that later. But before we do, we, we do need to talk about Ezekiel Barco, who did not play. Um, it came out before the game that he was, um, gosh, I don't know. I forget what the team said because I wasn't there and I actually um, didn't talk to anybody see where about it. it is. An act of indiscipline. It was a coach's decision. Yeah, they were saying it was a coach's decision. Apparently, the communication staff w- was not like well briefed on this, yeah. um, which is totally understandable. You know, like I'm sure this was a decision made by Tata Martino, and um, you know, the communication staff only you know they get the lineup knows sheet, about yeah. right, right. They're not like involved, like they're not debriefing with Tata Martino all the time, um, and I don't know. They they may have known. I'm sure they knew something about it, obviously, but. Um, 
you know, there are just a lot of details that they may have been left out. So I, I don't like to, I was kind of upset with the way this was treated um, because it didn't make sense to me why they just weren't saying he was suspended and it kind of left everybody puzzled as to what was going on. I think, I think I heard that 92, nine, I didn't, I wasn't listening to their broadcast, but uh, 92, nine was saying that he was being rested actually. Um, I think they said that on their pregame show on the broadcast when they found out. So I don't know if they were told that or if they were just speculating about that, but that was kind of interesting. Anyways. Yeah. As you said, Tata Martino said after the game that it was an act of um, indiscipline, but I just wanted to say, I just wanted to talk about this less so about what he actually did. Um, Obviously we don't know that. And I doubt we ever will. Other than the fact that we probably know it's not something that's, sporting related. I think Tata Martino specifically said that after the game, but also, you know, I talked to him mid on Thursday morning and there was a question to him in the press scrum about um, whether it's some of the criticism levied against Zekiel was fair. Um, and he completely came to his defense. He's, you know, he just said he was our best player in the last game Um I would have to go back and listen he to the transcript the thing, closely um, because that was... He said the thing about him, uh, the reason that he it looked like he struggles is because every time he gets the ball, he's double marked. Yeah, yeah, he did say that. And he may, you know, he may have mentioned something about, like, off the field, like, you know, becoming a better professional. Or so. I, I don't know, maybe, I don't think he did because I feel like that would have stood out to me. But that, I, if he did say that, it wasn't something that stood out to me. And it basically, the only thing I remember from his response to that question was just a full out defense of Barco and what he's brought to the team. So, um, so that was surprising to me that like this would have happened after after having heard that from the coach's mouth. Um, so we don't know what happened, obviously, but um, we can kind of talk about you know obviously we now we know that he's definitely going to be out for Montreal. Um, so anyway, he is, a, it is a suspension, like for all intents and purposes, it's a suspension. And I think I would like to get your opinion on this, but I think we can call it a suspension because and this is kind of meta journalist talk yeah. here. Our, our job is to communicate with our audience in the best way that we can in the most succinct way that we can and in the most accurate way that we can. So those are kind of the things that you balance. And while it may not be the most accurate to say he's suspended because technically he's not, because you can only be suspended by violating the CBA or some, or, you know, you can only be suspended by being uh, suspended by the league. It's a suspension, right? I mean, it, it seems like this is like a a team suspension. It's definitely, he's being disciplined. Um, You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's something specific in the CBA about, you know, the, if, if the team comes out and says something, if it has implications for, you know, his salary or a fine or something along those lines, I, I really don't, I really don't know. I kind of took a brief look at the CBA yesterday and it didn't really seem to say anything. Um, to yeah, I meant to, like I meant to try. Yeah. I meant to try to download it before we did this and, and do like a control F of like some key terms that might have helped, but I just took a quick look at it and it didn't really say anything about how the teams, um, you know, uh, handle uh, internal discipline type issues and stuff like that. But I mean, there are, there are, you know, just dozens of different ways. Like there was that, uh, I think it was in, in the New York times or something. It was an article maybe a year or two ago about, you know, different ways that soccer teams discipline players. And they're like, they'll make you go practice by yourself or make you like wash your uniform, your practice uniform and stuff. And like, 
have sort of all these sort of, you know, baseball style unwritten rules of the game type things that, that they'll, that they'll enforce. So I kind of think that this is, is kind of a little bit more of, um, you know, a, a serious thing than him just, you know, saying something in practice or doing something Tata didn't like in, in training or something. Um, so I'm, I am curious. <laughs> I'm curious to know. What yeah. Happened, I, I, um, but I do think that it, it probably was I, serious. Yeah, I agree. The, the sense that I get, if it's two games, it seems to me like, that is something not only is it like serious, but it's probably something that he had been warned about before, you know, and like persisted to do it. My, I mean, I, I think the the most obvious thing is like being late tardiness, whether it's to training yeah. or meetings or, or whatever, but still to come out with a two game suspension for that. Um, even if he has been consistently taught, you would think that would just be a one game. Like, I don't know why you would extend that to two games. Um, but that is a possibility. It just definitely seems like something. Yeah, it just seems like something that is um, like Tata Martino probably at the beginning of the season or when a new player comes in, there's just like there's there's rules probably that they have to abide by. And he makes that clear to them. And just one of those rules may not have been, you know, adhered to. So it could be anything. It could be anything down to like he's not like going to sleep on time. So I'm pretty sure they control like <laughs> or they like know like how good a sleep. Um. And I've seen him on Instagram up late at night watching Netflix on, okay. his, on his laptop. So who knows? who knows? I mean, I think uh, I thought it was, you know, he's a young player and, and, and all that. And he's probably still kind of, you know, feeling his way out in the team and everything. He's only been here for half a season. And, you know, it, it's interesting though. I think like in MLS where you sort of have these um, roster dynamics where like, you know, you've got a player who's, who's making, who's brought in and, and on a $15 million transfer on the same roster as, you know, like Mikey Ambrose making 60 grand or whatever he's making. Like that has to just be sort of the type of thing where if you're the coach, you, you probably do need to be aware of, of those dynamics and need to make sure that, you know, the guys who are, who are making huge money aren't seeing themselves as more important to the team than, than everybody else. And, you know, aren't, aren't, pushing the limits and getting away with things. And I, I do think that this is probably also the kind of thing where, you know, it's like if Atlanta is going to make a, a deep run in the playoffs, they, they all need to be on the same page and need to make sure that, you know, they're doing, they're following the rules and doing what they need to do. And, and it's, it's kind of a difficult thing where Tata definitely does need to kind of set this tone and, and do this. Yeah. I think, I think that that's probably, that's probably a fair way to, uh, to frame it. I think it's, there's probably just something having to do with, yeah, team dynamics, roster dynamics, I haven't noticed like when I've been at training, I haven't like noticed anything um, of like weird of like him being by himself or um, anything like that. But obviously we only get like this, like quick, like a very like quick glimpse basically like through a window right. We're not that close to the action. So it's hard to tell exactly what's going on, but I don't think like, I don't want people to like start thinking he, it was like some criminal activity or anything like that. It's probably just a, uh, something with the team. And like you said, he just needs to, um, yeah, it's probably just something where he needs just to help the team overall. This is, this will hopefully, um, end up benefiting everyone, both Barco and, and some of his teammates and help, uh, help them grow some respect for one another. Cause that's kind of the sense that I get of, of what this may be about, but it, it must be hard for him too, because you think about a guy like, um, you know, he, it's like the DPs are him him, him, Almiron and, uh, Joseph Martinez and you know 
Miguel Almiron is probably an easy person to get along with, but you talk about Joseph Martinez. It's, it's he seems like more of an abrasive character that it's like kind of be harder to um, have like a casual like relationship with. And Barco kind of is a, at a point where like he yeah. needs mentors. And so if your mentor is like Joseph Martinez, um, not that, not that Martinez is like a bad person or anything, but he's just like, a, how do you relate to him? You know, it's like, he's, I don't know. It's just an interesting dynamic. And it, it, it must be, I kind of feel for Barco in that sense that he must not have like a good teammate or something. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And now for something completely different. All right. But moving on from the, uh, from the Barco news was um, Andrew Carlton was the one who got the starting spot in, in the lineup for Tata Martina. Were you surprised by the fact that it was, it was him getting his first start? Uh, it was surprising to me. I mean, I was, don't get me wrong. I was happy to see it, but I was kind of just, you know, obviously I was going to be surprised whenever he got his first start. So yeah, what, I was, what, do you, what do you think of that? I was pretty surprised by it. I mean, it seems like as far as like in Tata's mind in the depth chart, he's somewhere behind Kratz and Vasquez. Um, Cause that's who he goes to at the end of games. Um, so that, that really wasn't something I was expecting. And um I was happy to see him play. I was happy to to see him get a game, and and um, um, yeah. But it was definitely a, a surprise. Um, I put him on my fantasy team, though. Um, why not? Nice, nice. When you saw that come up on the on the pregame sheet, He's, he was four bucks. Go for it. <laughs> nice. Go for it, kid. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was surprising. Well. I was happy with it, and I do think it was tactically the right decision. I think he's just a better player than Brandon Vasquez on the wing, and he's kind of the most like-for-like replacement we have for a guy like Ezekiel Barco, who's, you know, like a a creative, you know, dynamic type of player, or, you know, that's what we want him to be. So um, I actually did think it made logical sense, but I was kind of surprised at for the same reasons you said that, you know, we, we've seen Vazquez normally come in and get those minutes in the game. And I thought it was interesting what um, Tata had to say after the game, he was asked about Vazquez um, because it was kind of, I think it was his first time kind of getting a significant amount of minutes in a while. And, you know, he just said in his response, he mentioned Carlton. He just said, you know, they, the re, he, he went on about Vazquez needing to you know, get some more confidence and, and that kind of thing. But he also said, um, you know, Carlton has basically, you know, been performing better and he was just um, in a better condition kind of physically and mentally and all those things. Like he looked like more ready to play than Vasquez. And I think we've seen that from Vasquez this year. He's kind of seemed a little like frustrated and, you know, not probably in his peak physical condition. And um, he's just kind of seems a little he seemed a little like, um, I don't know unhappy and just like not fully like in it. I, I don't know yeah, how to explain. I'm not explaining has, this. Well. I think that he hasn't like done what he was asked to do last year. I thought it was interesting. Like last year, a lot of when he played was when Joseph was out and, um, and Tito was playing up top and he would kind of come in and either like play for Gressel on the right or, or come in late um, and just kind of like run around and, and hit crosses from the right side. And, and I don't know if it's just that he's asked to do something different on the left side that he's not accustomed to doing. Cause there's a lot, it, it all the complexity in Atlanta's game plan is on the left side. Um, I think at least. Um, yeah, totally. 
And, and I, I kind of think that, you know, that just might not be his game. And the other thing is that he's, he's, a, he's got at least the body type of, of more of a target forward. Um, and I don't know if, if in his mind, he's thinking like, you know, why am I being asked to be playing out here on the wing? I should be out in the center and, you know, I'm behind, you know, when is that playing time ever going to come? Because, you know, we've got Romario Williams and, and he's the one who usually gets those minutes. So it's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of interesting from that perspective. And I, I just think that it's just not the right role for him to be over there on the left. Um, but I do agree that, that he is more, or Carlton's more of a like for like replacement. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's funny that ta- talking about like the left and right wings and it's kind of funny. Um, like Tata seems very strict about like the players that he considers like players that can play on the left or the right. Like um, just like the one in particular that stands out to me that I just I don't know if I don't even know if I like disagree with it, but I just don't know is that like he's like he Tata basically says Tito Vajalba cannot play right. on the left. Right. Like he's like only on the right. right. It's like, why, why couldn't you just try him on the left? He's, honestly, he's actually done some good things on the left. Yeah. I think honestly, like it, it kind of comes down to like, just, um, you know, and I kind of am, am the one who probably points this out to like, everyone wants to, you know, rip their eyes out when I read it, I say it so much, but like the left side of Atlanta's attack is just so much more technical. Um, and I kind yeah. of think like, you know, it's, it is nice like to get a change of pace and get someone maybe like Tito who would be cutting in and doing, you know, playing more as an inverted winger or something like that. Um, but it, it is also a lot nicer to kind of get those sort of like interchanges and, and quick passes and everything to try to break a defense down. And I just kind of think that that's, that's just a little bit more of where the team is built and, and what Tata wants out of it. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, he's going to ride or die with that. So. Right. Yeah. I do think that you're totally right. And that the left side of the team is more technical. We saw so, and, but like w- w- there have been a, a few times last season where Tito found himself on the left side of the formation for whatever reason. Um, one was obviously the one against Orlando where he scored that screamer. There yeah. was one against New York city FC where he put in a nice curling shot into the far post to beat Sean Johnson. And then there was, I think one more against uh, Montreal where he scored. That was like another like long bullet of a shot he had from outside the box that um, he kind of like dribbled in from the left. Kind of, he was more central, but kind of towards the left-hand side. And, yeah, I think if he did play on the left, he would probably get more of those opportunities to shoot, but it might be more frustrating than we anticipate it being um, because he's not as technical of a player. And he's especially when it comes to like those passing combinations, he might not be as good linking up with some of his teammates. And it might like if he were to play over there for a long period of time, it might it might get frustrating. So, yeah, all this is to say, coming bring bring it back to Carlton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is I did think he was, you know, he was good. I, he, I mean, he was fine. Like it wasn't like he had some great performance, but I did think that the playing him made sense. Yeah, and um, I think it's like a really solid game for him to build on. Yeah, that's sort of my reaction to it. Also, um, kind of in addition to that, I thought that he did well taking care of the ball. I think he was up around like who scored has him at about eighty one and a half percent passing. Um, but he, you know, it didn't seem like he tried to do too much. He wasn't kind of like doing those flicks and tricks that we've kind of seen him do here and there. Um, I'm kind of wondering if if part of that is him consciously doing that or if Tata kind of told him like, 
please don't lose the ball doing a flick and, <laughs> and send them out son. <laughs> kind of yeah the way that we saw in that in his first appearance um yeah you know and and i don't know if uh, i don't know if that was kind of kind of a moment for him to uh to just kind of play within himself a little bit um and not try to do so much of that but i think that that's good i th- i think i i totally agree with your assessment there and i think that that's good i think that because that, that's what we need you know he may when he plays with a u.s youth national team he might need to be a little more creative or have a little more flair or whatever he's at least at those levels he's able of he's capable of pulling that stuff off yeah um a little bit better than he would be in this game. And I totally agree with you. I thought he was, I thought he was really solid. And I, I think my main takeaway from like what he needs to just improve is just, just from the physical aspect. I didn't think technically he, he was, um, there wasn't like that much of a drop off um, from what we normally get from that position is just, um, just physically, you know, he looked completely done by the 60th minute. And I think he said that after the match, Um you know, he. I think there's a little bit of lear- learning, you know, to pace yourself through a game. And I'm sure he was just like had the adrenaline pumping um, early and he was just sprinting after everything and kind of wore himself out. So I think just kind of he could work on, you know, getting a little stronger, you know, building his stamina, trying to, la- you know, be able to last longer in games. And uh, and I think that, you know, when, that that's just natural. I mean, he's what, 17 years old or 18 or something. Yeah. So like that's going to come over time, like it's not that's not a surprise basically and i think that what we did see from him was um basically all good things or like all the all the good things that we expected and and the shortcomings that he had i think were also kind of just like expected in terms of his physical like what he lacked physically so all in all good performance for carlton anything was there anything else you wanted to add about that no i i think uh, i agree with you and i i you know i'm excited to see him play again hopefully it means he gets more time yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're right um and then kind of the last topic i wanted to touch on uh in the show here was the fact that atlanta came back from behind in this one which they had not done all season in mercedes-benz stadium um coming in whenever they whenever they trailed uh at home they'd never gone on to win the game yeah is that true um, if you say so, I want to say <laughs> this was this this came from the team. It says okay. entering today's match, Atlanta was o two and one at home, two three and two overall. When oh, when tied at halftime. Okay, I didn't at I didn't half. read okay. that correctly. So not in the whole game. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I I mis I misread that. But um, because I was gonna say because uh, Montreal, I'm pretty sure they went down. I think that that's Didn't right. They? Yeah, because Montreal scored early and then just bunkered. Any anywho, um. It was, I, you know, when DC scored that early goal, I was like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me because now they're just going to go into that shell again. Um, yeah. And they did, but fortunately for us, they have like four attacking midfielders in their starting yeah. lineup and uh, and they're just like not set up to do that. So I think that was like the main thing that helped Atlanta United in that game kind of break through is just the fact that they're not, that team is just not, set up to do no. that as opposed to teams like we've played who have done it successfully like Portland and Seattle where it's like that's their thing so it was it they were they were much more disciplined and structured and organized and were able to make things really frustrating for us as opposed to DC United which gave us some gaps to exploit yeah I, I think um, you know I think in the comeback I I, I want to give DC United a little bit of credit though because you know they they didn't bunker they kind of 
they were like, we just brought in Wayne Rooney. Let's do this. <laughs> like, let's go out there, man. And, and I kind of think like, you know, good for them for doing that. Um, I, I did hear, you know, after the game, I think um, Ben Olsen was asked about bunkering and he said, well, maybe we should have bunkered. And it's like, dude, your team is giving up two goals a game. It wasn't going to work. Like, right. like you had the, you had the right idea. It just, it just wasn't going to be what was going to happen today. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the other thing is they Atlanta had 82 minutes to come back and, and get a win in this one. And, and they took care of business and, and all the credit in the world to the team to kind of sticking with it and, and just kind of, uh, you know, doing all the sports cliches. And they turned right around, though, and, and had two big chances immediately after that goal. So, yeah, yeah. And I, they did. And and on, on the other side of the ball, you know, it's not like Atlanta's goals were really because they I don't think Atlanta's goals actually happened like because DC was like out they were just they gave up two on a cross and two goals to just like crosses where they had people back there it was just you know they just yeah. didn't weren't able to clear the ball and then there were there was one I guess where they were more um spread out but you know that was kind of more like a a, a just the, the defender there I don't know who it was just made like an individual it was error or not even wrong. error it was just kind of unlucky yeah yeah he, yeah just the clearance um, a little bit so I so I wouldn't even say that them they're they're concessions of goals in that game were even down to the fact that they were that they were you know playing a little more aggressively I think it was just the fact that you know Atlanta was just getting you know lots of balls in the box and creating chances and eventually you know they were going to fall for them but it was good to see Atlanta you could like you can kind of tell they were really um going for it a little more and I feel like that that's happened with Atlanta but sometimes that doesn't kick in until halftime um so it was nice to see that kind of kick in yeah, right away. The first like, half before the halftime pep talk a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't need Aaron Hyde uh, this time <laughs> to to give it to the lads. So, um, yeah, that was that was mainly it. Any any final thoughts from you on the game? Um, no, I, I think that it was just great that they they bounced back from kind of a frustrating performance and just loaded up on goals. And Joseph got a hat trick. You know, um, I don't know that there's much else you would have asked for out of the game like that. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it, it would have been pretty like mentally catastrophic if they had <laughs> lost this one. Um, <laughs> the, the form in Mercedes Benz stadium already has been, you know, pretty, pretty pathetic and depressing yeah. lately. So um, yeah, to, to not get all three points would have been, would have been pretty tough. So um, we will go on to our Lorenowitz men just because Sam's not here. It doesn't mean we can't give our Lorenowitz men of the night. Parker, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and get a tattoo of um, Chris McCann on my body. Um, <laughs> you know, and cause honestly, like I'm giving it to him um, because uh, I think whoever should have been marking Steber on the first goal. And I think it was McCann deserves a lot of credit for the way that the team came back and played. Um, they had a lot of urgency after they, they gave up that goal. They were kind of like, you know, there's no way in hell we're we're losing again to DC United and we're not doing it in our building. And um and I, I kinda thought that that was uh you know, he didn't mean he didn't mean to blow the defense on that one, but it happened and um you know, thanks Chris. <laughs> and that was McCann's McCorner um segment of the show. Uh, I'm going with uh, Brad Guzan. I thought he, um, I don't know, maybe could have done better on the first goal, but I, you can't like blame him for giving that one up. And then he also had like a double save um, at some point in the game. I can't remember exactly when, uh, but it was great. Like he definitely saved a goal at some point. 
I, I'm I, I'm pretty sure I can. Uh, it's safe to say. Yeah, that, I think so. the double save that was that was probably uh, the defensive highlight of the game. So, yeah, yeah. So that's Bregzan, and uh, that is also going to do it for our show. Um, please follow Parker <laughs> at ph Cleveland three on Twitter. You can follow me at jpatrick two hundred. And if you don't want to follow either of us, which I can totally understand. Just follow five stripe final, please. Five stripe final. It's at five stripe final. Um, we, we we won't inundate your timeline. We we'll, we just we're pretty chill. Well, except for after games, that's when shit gets crazy. But um, yeah, do that and stay tuned for our preview show, which Sam should be back for. But if not, we'll always call him Parker again. Um, yeah, we will be talking about Montreal. I don't know if we will have somebody from Montreal on or not to actually talk about the game. We might have like a special guest that talks more general stuff, but um, either way should be a good time. Should be a good time. And other than that, that's going to do it for the show. So Atlanta United scored three goals. DC United scored one, which means three points for Atlanta and Atlanta's back into first place. So we will see you uh, whenever, whenever we see you, we don't, we don't know when the next show is coming out, but whenever we'll be, that's when we'll see you. Talk to you later guys. Bye everyone.